Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Welcome to another Frightfest preview podcast from Britflix.com. I'm speaking to Blair Erickson, the writer-director of the Banshee chapter. Hello, Blair. Hey. hey, how's it going? It's going very well. It's going very well. I'm glad I uh, shoe-owned you in a day earlier than I planned. Ah, oh, it's fantastic. I'll be honest <laughs> to the listener. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I mean... Um, I've I've been privy to be able to watch your film before the festival, uh-huh. so yeah. I have to say, like I said in the email, I, I really I really enjoyed your movie. Oh, terrific! It terrific. was uh, damn damn fine and damn scary. Um, oh, nice. Uh, yeah, you had you had me on tenterhooks many times. So uh, <laughs> that's that's a horror film doing its job. Yeah, I love when people express like their displeasure and dismay at how freaky it something is, and you say, "Oh, I did my job. That's that's fantastic." <laughs> so, so do you want to do you want to do like uh, what, how you would sort of introduce the film for someone that's not that's not seen it, maybe? Yeah, um, I mean, I would say you know just in a sort of a short summary, it's a you know kind of a creepy, strange thriller about a government project that really existed called the MK Ultra Project. And um, some people today who uh, uncover one of the chemicals they were researching in that project and the sort of horrifying side effects it had on people. Um, it uh, you know sort of starts like a mystery and sort of goes off the rails into a you know creepy adventure story. Um, yeah, I think that's how I'd look at it. Cool. No, and it, and it's uh, so so. How did you sort of looking at it from what historically is the M culture? Uh, projects and stuff how did you find the sort of potential horror in that for your for your story i mean that's kind of the subtext of the whole story is you know the these sort of strange things that we have in our past as a as a country that really don't go away um the in this case the mculture project was something that um you know they were taking innocent americans and, and really testing chemicals on them without their knowledge um and there were deaths there were you know really horrifying side effects and I just, to me, that was just great because it so encapsulates what we still deal with today, where it's these strange programs that sort of go on without our permission, and then no one's accountable for them. No one ever faces repercussions, and they never go away. And that's sort of the that's sort of the undercurrent, the sort of the the subtext. And there's even you know a little scene you'll notice shouting out to the NSA in the film, and <laughs> um, you know I think that that sort of is is in our pop culture zeitgeist, and it never really leaves us because we never really fully deal with it. And this is sort of a one, one approach to dealing with it is to turn it into a horror story. No, I th- I th- and I think as well, you, 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 I think from a film point of view, I think you handled a lot of potentially complex and confusing information yeah. to bring us quickly up to speed and quickly into your story, I guess. 
mm-hmm. with with all yeah. that kind of archive footage and stuff that you use. Because obviously that's real, most of it. A lot of it, a lot of yeah, a lot of the stuff we intercut is real footage from you know there were there were real you know uh, hearings on it. There were real people investigated. There were real people interviewed. But ultimately, no one ever was really brought to justice and the records of it were destroyed. So it really kind of slipped into the uh, shadows of what we've done in our past. Yeah, no, we've, we've, we've had in the UK, we had not quite on the scale, but certainly we had, as was experiments on soldiers that they didn't yeah. know they were being experimented on. But that was actually, we, I, I've looked at some of the experiments that they were doing, and we actually considered using some of that footage as well, but we ultimately decided to just focus on the, what the American government had done. But mm. yeah, there had absolutely been, um, you know, the British testing LSD on their troops, um, you know, uh, all manner of chemicals at that point during the Cold War. It, it was really, they were coming up with all sorts of strange things and extracts and compounds to try to figure out how to mind control people. And it was quite horrifying when you really look at what they did. And how, how, how much is it, how much is what you did, what you ended up telling as your story about what, what the journalist uncovers is right. rooted in truth, as it were, you know, like, like something like men, men who stare at goats was? Or yeah, how, so how much of what you've done in. is sort of artistic license to take the, the foundation of MK Ultra and go, right, right. how far can right. I subvert that? I think, I mean, you know, the, I, I certainly avoided doing the whole based on a true story thing because I always feel like, A, that's a bit of a gimmick. But yeah. B, you know, this isn't quite a true story. It's, it's partially a true story, but it's partially fictionalized. And we play with both of those elements. Um, I would say that uh, it's, it's based, a lot of what you see, surprisingly more than you would expect in the story is true. Um, you know, was the government, those government experiments, the, um, the things that they were doing, the, the, the experiment, um, the dimethyltryptamine experiment, that's based on a real experiment, although it was not part of MKUltra. That's just sort of some other research that was done. Um, and that sort of fictionalized with that. And then I don't want to spoil too much, but, you know, towards the second half of the film, they start revealing stuff about how the drug is made. And mm. also, um, there's also some stuff about, uh, of course, one of the patients in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, it's revealed in the last scene. That's all sort of loosely based on some historical stuff as well. Right, okay. um, and uh, that's just kind of mashing up stories that, you know, I had been reading about this stuff for years and mashing up different stories and sort of saying, okay, what's the best way to kind of get this all across in a sort of a crazy fictional version that kind of hits on all the strange and weird elements of this story? Well, no, well, like, like I said in the, in the, the opening, I think you definitely... I think you've definitely achieved that with uh, with a cherry on top. Um, nice. <laughs> so, so why, why the title Banshee Chapter? I didn't quite make a direct yeah, connection with that name. So, what, what 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 meaning does that have in addition to the film? Yeah. So there's only one there's only one moment, and it happens like right in the opening first act where, where they mention why why the film has that title. Uh, okay. And, and it's just one moment. It's sort of a throwaway line, and it's when they're interviewing. Sort of as you see, when it starts off, we have this very documentary style before we transition to full narrative. But if you notice in the opening, um, there's a scene where they're interviewing the writer who later vanishes. Yeah. And he's talking about when they tested the chemical on the patients that they all saw the same thing. And then he says, and they named it the same thing. And then the interviewer says, well, what did they name it? And he says, that's the name of the chapter. Ah, <laughs> uh, don't see, I saw <laughs> well, they, Yeah, I missed that yeah. as well. So the, 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 the entity that they all started to perceive in the room, they called it Banshee. Ah, okay, okay, right, okay, got you. Got and that's, you. Actually, that's actually from the real, you know, reading, reading real experiments that were done with the chemicals. Jesus Christ, them poor fellas. I mean, 
<laughs> but that one, you know, yeah, that, that one's like more of a, you, you know, it's a test. It's an ominous overtone. You're just like, oh, that's great. I just have to use that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. That's, um, yeah, not knowing you're being experimented on. I mean, you, 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 you know the college tales, you know, of someone dropping something in someone's drink, but somebody actually strapping you to a chair and the like, and then observing you while you're losing your mind. Yeah. Is, is okay, I, cool. I kind of I want to break into spoiler territory for a second if I can, because i got to talk about this at some point. Is cool. that okay? Can I break into spoiler territory for a second? You, you, it's, it's your film. You, you, you break sure. away. All right. So in the real experiment and the real reason that, for instance, the drug um, LSD was popularized was mm. because of a counterculture writer, um, Ken Kesey. He was one of the people experimented on in the actual test. So in the film... Of course, we, we sort of do this fictionalized counterculture character who's a mashup of several of them. But, you know, one of them is definitely Kim Kesey. Okay. Because uh, he was actually the reason that drug was spread through the United States population. Whoa. Yeah, he wrote the electric Kool-Aid acid test after he came out of the MKUltra experiments and began going around basically advocating people taking this drug. That wasn't what they planned, was it? <laughs> That was not the plan. The CIA did not intend for it to get loose in the population like that. <laughs> Gee, he, he's, um, he's amazing. Is that, was it Ted Levine, isn't it? The, uh, Ted Levine playing Thomas Blackburn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in my review, I, I, wasn't really, I didn't really make the full connections with, with what would have been the facts of it, not, not known that much about Ultra beyond the sort of headlines. So yeah. it, was, it was seeing him in that kind of sort of Hunter S. Thompson type Yes, yeah. Now, you, know, you, pull from, you pull from all those guys. You pull from yeah. Leary, Thompson, um, Kesey. You know, there's so many just that. That's just a, such a great time period for those strange sort of personalities. And, you know, I think that um, uh, Ted has a great time just uh, playing that character and really getting into that role because um, it's such a fun – it's a such yeah, a fun character. Because the 70s is that weird period because obviously the, the liberal dream ended, you know, with Altamont yeah. and whatever – so the hippies yeah. were going to get trampled by the conservatives during the 70s. But it was also a time where all kinds of psychobabble and, you know, um, we, we, if we think it hard enough, we can realise positive things and, set, you know, big group sex things and all that happened against the backdrop of lots of dark things were happening as people were trying to control right. the world at the same time. Right. right. And, and, and I think that ultimately what you saw with that generation was that sort of, the, the forces of, you know, as, as like Hunter Thompson would put it, like the forces of old and evil. Um, but, you know, that point when you look at it and you say, the bad guys won. Like, you know, they may have dreamed of everything turning out in this utopian fashion, but really is the government not more than it was even then at, at this point? Is, did it not grow darker and more, you know, oppressive? And, and there's a lot of argument you can say it did. Um, you can certainly say that the, whatever that entrenched sort of CIA intelligence agency organism was in our government got only stronger and more powerful and more, you know, controlling. Um, and I think, and that's all kind of, you know, the under the subtext of the story, at least um, in my view. No, that's what I mean. That's, that's, a, that's a, it's a bold move for, 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 um, and that's what I think that's what makes it an, in, an interesting horror film, when you just first arrive at it, never mind the fact that it's it's well done and executed. The fact is, you're you're dealing with themes and issues that are general, as well as then throwing us into a into a genre situation by the end of it. Yeah, it is it is a strange thing to do because you go like you look at it and you go, I haven't really seen too many horror movies deal with this sort of subtext and this sort of material. 
And you certainly don't usually see them deal with something where you're like, you can't really easily classify what it is. It's not really an alien. It's not a ghost. It's just sort of something really bad yeah. that comes through. And you just go, well, I haven't seen it. Doesn't mean it can't be done. We'll see if, you know, we'll see if audiences go with me for this sort of crazy ride. But uh, let's, you know, let's, let's try something really weird here. <laughs> Um, well, 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 look. I mean, Fright, Fright Fest is now in its in its fourteenth year, and it and it gets uh-huh. bigger and bigger. I don't know if you're aware that the sort of main screen is a kind of fifteen hundred seater, sixty foot yeah. screen. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've heard of the Empire Theater is quite amazing. I've never seen it in person, but I've heard it described uh, in quite grandiose terms. It's a sport. It's it's like a sporting arena rather than a cinema in some senses. It's that bloody big. Um, oh wow! So. Um, a, how do you feel about that prospect to start with? <laughs> there's um, there's no small amount of pressure. Uh, <laughs> it's you know because I you know you know that the um, the size of the screen, the size of the uh, theater is so large, and um, you know you have a the, the crowd there who's you know fright fest. So certainly they they're there to see horror. They've seen a lot of horror, so you know they've seen a lot of things. And you're hoping you're just hoping you're just like I hope some mind brings something new to the table that they haven't seen before. It's you know you want to at least just give them something new, something memorable, um, and uh, something uh, hopefully entertaining. That's I guess ultimately what you hope for. No, no, no. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. There's gonna you're gonna touch some people in there. Um, <laughs> but but from a general point of view, though, what you know, obviously you're you're at specific you're at specific time now, so you're a long way away from here, but. What, what, from where you're looking, why, why is something like Frightfest an important event for horror, you know, horror filmmakers around the world? You know, the horror yeah. filmmaking yeah. community. Um, well, I know. I think that it, you know, horror's a, you know, to be honest, it's, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a downtrodden genre. People treat it in, in, especially in the film industry, they treat it a little bit like, oh, you know, horror. Like they never, it's never nominated for um, best picture Oscars. Um, it's, it's very put down by the uh, sort of the how the rank and file look at it so we think that it's important that the horror community definitely recognize and and celebrate that it's a great genre for telling stories for touching on social themes and exploring issues in a you know an interesting way that doesn't necessarily have to be the you know the traditional drama um horror kind of gives you leeway to do stuff i mean we look at like a classic horrors through the past couple decades, all the way back to Night of Living Dead, which really was a commentary on civil rights in America. Mm. Um, or, you know, when you look at a lot of like, where did, you know, sort of the, the torture films come start and come into play. I think it's no small coincidence that they started becoming big right about the time that the United States started openly torturing people. Um, I think that, uh, you know, when, when Dawn of the Dead, you have a bunch of mindless zombies running or walking around a shopping mall. <laughs> I think that's no coincidence that was the dawn of, you know, the Reagan era in America. I think that these things are commented on through horror. And, I, you know, they sit in our zeitgeist and nobody really wants to touch it until horror touches it first, I think. Um, because horror has always had a little bit more like sort of no holds barred because you're already, you know, cutting throats and bleeding everywhere and there's monsters. So really what is a little, you know, social commentary here or there? Yeah, it's, and I it's think kind that's... of like, it's a weird, it's that weird combination where on, on one level there is a conservative, conservatism to, to horror because there's expectations to satisfy, but then ultimately it's, if it's done well, it's a transgressive genre because people, yes. like you say, draw in what's happening around them to make the horror more exactly. horrifying. 
Exactly. I mean, because really what it is, is we have these fears. They sit in our minds, right? And they're really fears about our society, about each other, about things like that. And that's what all true horror stories are about. It's about, you know, being, you know, something transforming into something dark that we, you know, trust. It's, it's about, you know, the breakdown of society. It's about these sort of issues that haunt us and we explore them through these stories. That's why I think it's such an important medium. And I think in many ways it's, it's, it's more relevant than most of the film industry gives it credit for. Um, <laughs> So that's why I wanted to, that's why I wanted to start with it. You know, it's not that I'm like, oh, I'm only going to, you know, make a horror film. It's just sort of like, I thought that was just such a great medium to work with for, you know, being a little bit more transgressive, as you'd say. But, but I think, I mean, ultimately though, you scare us in a film, which is very much a psychological thriller because you've got, you've got a woman on her own at a lot of times, or she's partnering yeah. up with people she doesn't know she can or can't trust. Yeah. Searching in places which are remote and scary shit is happening at the same time. Now, you can't help but worry about her. You can't help but wonder what she's going to find next, which is great right. for the horror, but, you know, but, you, you, but the suspense is there, and that's, you know, that's just thrilling, you know, in many senses. <laughs> yeah, part of it is just like, I mean, there's, there's also, right, of course, we talk about some of this big social or cultural fears, but then there's just classic, just primal terror stuff, like you're in the basement and you realize something's in there with you. Um, and that's sort of, I think we all have that, like, shudder moment when you say oh gosh what would i do in that situation and it's just genuinely disturbing and unsettling because we, we all have that fear i think and, um, and it, it, it never fails to 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 uh to amaze me that the amount of horror films that i've probably seen i still you know grip the the the, the arms of the chair when i know i'm walking into something and it doesn't stop <laughs> me being scared yeah i think that you know and that's something that um i and it's funny because it, when you make a horror, you know, people think like, oh, it's just, you're just looking at, you know, just a bunch of slasher films or whatever. But, you know, you look at stuff like what Tarantino does or what Scorsese does or what, you know, Alfonso Cuaron does. And that's really a lot of like, weirdly enough, there were a lot of stuff where I was sort of like pulling from what I, you know, had seen in, in their work and how it worked, where you just stretch that tension out. And you know something bad's going to happen, but you're not sure what it is. So you just stretch it out and you like get people on the edge of their seat. And that's a lot of the fun of horror is those moments when you can stretch that tension tight enough that people are just, you know, completely focused on what's, what's about to happen um, in a way that you rarely get. So I, I like, I like that. I like doing those sort of moments. They, they, they get a, they get a, you know, really fun energy going. So like for, for so finally now for, for a bit of fun and because we're Britflix.com. So we're, we're out, we are largely about the, um, the British, the British film industry is what we tend to cover day to day, but obviously yes. this being such a big British event, it's uh, yes. makes sense to cover it. When you think of British horror films, who or what yes. springs to mind for you? Yeah, so I mean, it was you know I thought about this question once, and I, I you know, you want to say Hammer horror, but that's not the answer. Um, okay. And I don't, I don't know if this was Hammer horror, but I think the original Wicker Man. Okay. Um, I, know, I know probably a lot of Americans say that, but um, for me, that original Wicker Man was great because it, you know I, I was younger, I was watching cable, and you have no idea what this movie's about, and then that ending just comes out of nowhere, and you're just like, "What the hell?" And it's so genuinely weird, and like it's, it, I think it did for me what I think the ending of Rosemary's Baby does for a lot of people. You know, yeah. For that, me, that movie was I never quite clicked with me for whatever reason, but for me, the ending of the Wicker Man, where you're just sort of like, "I'm a I'm a normal sane person, and I'm in a society of crazy people," <laughs> and then you. And then not till the end do you realize quite how crazy they are 
And it's like, it, it, it's that wonderful metaphor where you're just like, I can be as rational as I want and it won't save me. <laughs> um, and I Plus, think that that's, yeah. that's, that's a fear that I have, you know, just being surrounded by like just crazy people. And you know they're crazy, but you're the only one who's sane. And that is, I think, a great moment. Um, I love the ending of that movie. Well, well that. of course, yeah. I mean, the, the um, and, um, add to the fact that he's meant to be law and order as well. So yes. <laughs> not only is he a rational man, he's also meant to be the law and order, and none of that is standing him in good stead. Yes. So, we were, yeah, I, I, would, I would absolutely go Wicker Man on that one. I don't, I don't, know, if you, I don't know if you're aware of this. There's, there's a phenomenon called the sleepy queue at Fright Fest. Are you aware yeah. of this? No. So, so what happens is the, the festival tickets go on sale um, in July-ish, or mm-hmm. in June, and there is a people queue for a few days, it seems. To get their tickets because they they sell them physically before they sell them online. So so <laughs> by the Saturday morning you've got about at, at seven a.m. There's probably about three hundred four hundred people queuing yeah. in Leicester Square for their uh, for tickets. So a couple of years ago we actually would, and what you do there's a film you get you buy your pass and then they show a film as a kind of thank you for coming to buy your pass and stuff. Yeah. And a couple of years ago we actually got. The double bill of "Don't Look Now" and "Wicker Man" as <laughs> as the tree, <laughs> which was just because nice. I'd never seen either on the big screen, and it was just phenomenal to be able to see them. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I think that uh, you know, Br- Brit- British horror has such a great long tradition, and you think about you know Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee, who's actually you know still, <laughs> I guess, very much a, a presence in film today. Um, and you think of all, all the great actors that they've spawned and you think like, you know, uh, we, we should be so lucky in America to have that sort of tradition. Um, but yeah, it's Wicker Man has got to stand up there with one of the best. Well, OK, well, look, I um, I've got plenty here now for my, my little podcast to preview it. Awesome. Uh, so I'd like to thank you very much for your time, Blair. Yeah, thank you. And, it's great talking um, to you, Stuart. Yeah. And if and if you are over for Fright Fest, I'll uh, we'll try and say hello and put faces to names and voices that'd be terrific that'd be terrific all right, right we'll look have a safe journey over to the uk later this month and uh, mm. i look forward to seeing the audience reaction to your film as do i take care all right thanks Derek. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. 